Mike Shipley of Vox Phoenicia and the Phoenix Campaign to Legalize Urban Camping and Outright Libertarians. Uh, Mike Shipley is involved with – good afternoon, sir. Good afternoon. Great to be here. It's glad to have you. Uh, Mike Shipley is involved with the Phoenix Campaign to Legalize Urban Camping, or CLUCK, uh, as well as the Vox Phoenicia, which is a local CLUCK street newspaper. He is um, a national chair of an Arizona chapter organizer for an organization called Outright Libertarians. Uh, congratulations on your new chairmanship at the national level, Michael. Thank you. Although he may be, his may be thought of by some as a really radical cause, Shipley's efforts do not make such a far-fetched argument. Homelessness, like prostitution, for example, is not a phenomenon that is n new to the human condition, and simply because it has been a problem that has recurred throughout history does not mean it should be disregarded as a social issue now, I would argue. Uh, the subject begs important questions related to public safety, social cost and justice, human rights, and morality. So, uh, Mr. Shipley, Mike, what is the campaign to legalize urban camping? Please explain. All right. Well, the campaign to legal legalize urban camping, or CLUCK as we affectionately refer to it as, mm -hmm. um, is a ballot initiative to basically repeal the urban camping ordinance. So what that means, I'll just read you the description from the thing. Okay. Whereas the prohibition of peaceably sleeping or preparing to sleep in public parks parks represents an undue hardship on the homeless, we the undersigned request to repeal, and it gives the code numbers, with the effect of decriminalizing urban camping. So urban camping is the PC term for homelessness. It mm -hmm. means have, being forced to sleep outside. Yeah. Do um, you like the term? Do you prefer it to the term homelessness? Um... Well, I mean, it, it's precise. It describes the thing we're specifically speaking to, which is actually having to sleep. We, it, um, what, did, what did George Carlin say? These people are houseless, not homeless, I believe is the quote. Oh, yeah. Uh, actually, there are some who are working on our campaign who make a distinction there. I don't really get what that distinction is supposed to be. Uh -huh. yeah. I know the, the earth is my home. I'm a human, so yay, but you know. <laughs> Oh, you know, this initiative, this initiative can't actually solve the problem of either home or houselessness. Mm -hmm. It simply addresses the fact that if you have to sleep outside, then it's an injustice to arrest you for it. Mm -hmm. So we're just we're speaking specifically to the the act of urban camping. So I think it's a it's an appropriate term. OK. Um, and you're working through. Uh, I mean, I have questions here later on regarding particular about the ballot initiative. We can get to that when we get to that. eh? Um, the campaign to legalize urban camping is there is there any other significant portion of its impetus that is uh, like not electoral or precinct based or ballot initiative based I mean I guess there's a sociological general philosophical inclination is there any other kind of branch of the of the campaign well I mean there's an ideological motive behind it you know it's a it's an issue that I've personally experienced and, and I know some of the others in the activist community have uh, it would be really really easy to get sidetracked um, with concerns over mutual aid and and the many other um, types of um, very very important um, services that needed to be that it, uh, ought to be being provided to the homeless community um, that are not up to standard right now 
and we definitely don't want to you know send a message that those concerns aren't important but we also want to be successful at what we're doing so i mean right. when i'm doing cluck then i'm specifically focused on repealing this law okay and what is vox Phoenicia? so we got the idea um that we needed to fund this campaign somehow and um it doesn't really you know i've done enough begging for money i'm not interested in going out you know <laughs> I, I don't know. At some point, I guess I'm going to have to start asking people to write checks to this campaign. But uh, we thought it would be more empowering if maybe we found a way to fund the campaign in a way that was, you know, that was self-sufficient. So uh, we looked at a model. Actually, uh, I, you know, Phoenix used to have one called the Grapevine, and basically it's a street newspaper. Mm -hmm. And but we had a representative from the Making Change Street newspaper, which is published in uh, California somewhere. Um, yeah, I'm trying to. I don't know off the top of my head which city. Uh, but there's there are many of these around this the country, including one named Street Speech in Columbus, Ohio. Mm -hmm. And basically, what it is, it's it's a you know you just produce like a like a, a few page little newspaper, and um, homeless individuals can go out and exchange it for money, mm -hmm. and then a portion funds the production of the actual paper, and then. Um, a portion will pay the signature gatherers to actually gather the petition signatures. So it gives us a way to to produce advocacy on the issue, right, and get people to read it mm -hmm. and make money while we're doing that. So they've got a similar kind of initiative going on in Columbus. Well, the, most of these street newspapers aren't designed to fund initiatives. They're basically – they. Um, well, a lot of times they're, they, they fund either services or um, – in well, some form or fashion to benefit the community, regardless of what approach they may be taking. Right. But Columbus, Ohio, this one that I'm looking at here, which you picked up while you – incidentally, and we'll talk about this later – while you were down there at the Libertarian Party convention um, recently. Uh, yes, and I mean I haven't examined all the models. Uh, we're also going to talk about the nonprofit industrial complex later, so uh -huh. I don't know who's pocketing the money in which cities. Yeah, looking forward to that. But I know that it's a model that works. It's it's It has the ability to produce revenue and – so we decided we'd give it a try. Well, it involves writing, and you know what they say about writing to writers. Don't stop. <laughs> um, so, uh, And so that's a pretty widespread mechanism. It's found in major cities, a, a, a street newspaper like that. That's something that's not, that's, not, that's not unusual to find in any given community of a particular size. Okay. No, not at all. Okay. Um, it always strikes. I always see people holding, you know, just a sign of some sort or another. Um, it seems like this. There's more method to this than just a piece of cardboard that has, that is, you know, is essentially a solicitation for communication one way or the other, where it says, uh, you know, we'll work for food or whatever it may be. Um, this model seems to enfranchise, um, you know, your urban camper, and civically. <clears throat> um, please describe the homeless population here in Phoenix. Where do they sleep? How do they beat the heat? What of what of its size? How how big is the homeless population? And we've talked about this before, but talk to me about the size of the population here and, and what they're like. Paint a picture. All right. Well, uh, I there the state of Arizona, the Department of Economic Security, has published this uh, report, their annual report on homelessness, and the last one that came out was in uh, two thousand twelve. 
And I'm just going to give you some very rough numbers because it goes into a lot of minutia and it, it, um, it divides the population up in various ways and produces various st statistics on them. But just as a very like uh, high level number, uh, in the state of Arizona, they estimated in 2012 there were 28,000 of which 50% wow. uh, of them were in Maricopa County. So in the Phoenix metropolitan area, there's about 14,000 homeless individuals. Yeah. Uh, and of those, uh, you know, a portion of them are sleeping in shelters. Mm -hmm. um, a portion of them are sleeping outside. Uh, mm -hmm. Let's see. Um, about. Uh, so of the 28,000, about 15,000 of those are staying in emergency reported staying in emergency emergency shelter. About 6,000 were in transitional housing and another 5,000 were in permanent supportive housing. So um, mm -hmm. that's 26,000 of them that drifted through um, housing at some point in time during that year. Um, I wouldn't say that in my estimation, oh, well, first of all, that leaves 2,000 that never received any service at all. Yeah. Um, and in most cases, the person probably didn't experience housing um, for the duration of that entire year. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the housing facilities have strings attached, um, and many of them don't um, serve um, the population of, of addicts or alcoholics very well. Right, which we'll talk about later. Um, many of them, you know, they, they, may, um, they may have a problem with felons, which, you know, tend to have a problem with homelessness. So that's kind of a an injustice there. Um, some of them may be tied to immigration status. Some of them are women-only shelters. And don't get me wrong, women should have shelters to go to, and mm -hmm. they should be women-only. Mm -hmm. You know, But like the thing is that like when you're seeking services, it isn't easy as just going down and getting on the list and getting into a bed. Um, the other thing that happens many times is somebody may be uh, – you know, don't ask me why, but they rob each other a lot. And so the next thing you know, you're getting involved in a fight to protect what little property you have. Yeah. And the shelter will just kick both of you out, out for that. They won't even ask questions if there's, you know, physical violence going on. Yeah. You're asked to leave and not come back. And so a portion of the community is just continually cycled out onto the street and told never to return. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, I think that uh, it's on its face is an example of the type of education I mean, just, um, um, social kind of uh, leveling that, that is needed at, at that level of the community. I mean, people need to be learning. You know, it's never too late to mend. It's never too late to learn. You know, you shouldn't steal. It's causing – it's troublesome. Um, and it can be taught. You don't have to be a child to learn it. Um, you do typically have to be sober, <laughs> though. Right. Um, uh, I mean, and on our way over here, um, as we discussed in the car, um, this is I this is this office is in the uh, this home office is in the Palmaire precinct here in Maricopa County. It's an electoral uh, perimeter. I picked you up from your home in McDowell, and we looked at. Um, this is relevant in terms of figuring out you know a census in one's community you know ad hoc census and we drove you know we looked at some of the appropriations of the land some of its uh you know you know light industrial grocery stores and that sort of thing some retail 
commercial, high-density residential, low-density residential. And, you know, I identified where I identify regularly transient, you know, what appear to be, you know, homeless population, urban campers um, over here by, you know, uh, and certain rights-of-way, commercial rights-of-way, washes where they likely are, you know, calling, you know, uh, their bedroom. Um, the, the bus stops, you know, there's a McDonald's over here, right here in this precinct and that sort of thing. And I think it's important just, you know, for people to, to begin kind of opening their eyes and looking at the world around them, you know. It's already divided up, you know, that's part of its elective, um, you know, kind of um, public government. It's already divided up into little spots. You can go out and so you, you live here. We'll go look around what's going on in this little inside of this little area. I mean, that's kind of how it works. And if you know, and that's that's how if no one knows how to approach it, start approaching it by looking around you. And uh, that's that's why I, I thought it was interesting to it's very very clear to me in this little precinct where the where the where, where the urban campers are residing and where they're egressing. And I can even, you know, communicating with them based on uh, insignia uh, left about. Um, please describe, and I told you in the car on the way over also, that it was, you know, by grace and luck and and just sh sheer, you know, I don't know what, that I, you know, have managed to uh, not end up homeless historically for me. When I was younger, I made some bad decisions. and. You know, ultimately, I got through university and became a consenting adult, so to speak, tardily so, slightly. However, anybody can make a decision in bad and end up, um, you know, outside of house and home. Um, please describe your two years uh, of homelessness or as an urban camper, uh, if you would paint a picture for us. Well, you know, it was. I can think of any number of, you know, descriptive adjectives to to describe the just the despair sure. and the and the you know the the i don't know terror i mean at different moments i mean it just it wasn't pleasant it was unpleasant in every possible way that you can describe it but um for me i was experiencing um some pretty severe psychological symptoms mm -hmm. and i was having some health issues as well and um how long ago was this um, this, let's see, I went homeless in the, um, in the fall of 2010. Okay. And, well, I was moderately successful while I was still relatively, um, I don't know if clean is the right word, but still, you know, I still had my, uh, I still had my glamorous, you know, I don't know. I won't even baby go there. fat. My, you my, my whole thing was youthful disposition. What happened to me is I'm a drug addict, right? And so you know, there was a, a time between when I ran out of money, but I still had my looks, and I could basically I could go move from couch to couch. Yeah, I could get what I needed, and I floated along for a while, not really realizing like what crisis I was in. Sure. But eventually, you know, I didn't have access to regular. Um, you know, services so I could groom myself and, and get cleaned. And, you know, I mean, you know, the free, the gravy train runs out when you, yeah. you know, and then boom, I was on the street and then I started experiencing, you know, some of the worst aspects of, and you were here during that time. Are you yeah, local? Okay. I, yeah. And I was, um, so anyway, I, the, the reason I st started telling that rather awkward moment of my history is that, um, I got by about another year before I really, really was truly a street person yeah. and then i was out there for two years 
um, because I like by then I was, you know, I, like I said, I was experiencing some severe psychotic symptoms. Mm. I believe that the space alien cosmic mafia was coming to get me. <laughs> and I mean, it was terrifying. There was no way I was going to walk in somewhere and ask for help because I believe they were all part of this, you know, conspiracy. And I know it, I mean, in retrospect, that's irrational, but it was real to me at the time. And, you know, when we look you know that that's a stereotype of, of the of the, you know the insane homeless person sitting talking to themselves at the bus stop, yeah. and I mean I just it gives me a new window into why to have compassion for a person like that because it's not like anybody chooses to sit, you know, and just do that. You yeah. know it's it's real. It's a real symptom. People and, end up there. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, I don't know what I'm suggesting that you do, but just like have some compassion. Maybe, you know, OK, the part of it that fed into me, like my emotionally, the part, the part of my symptoms that I still do, still deal with is, um, you know, the emotional aftermath of being stigmatized and being shunned and being treated like a filthy person. And, you know, as a gay man and as a drug addict and, um, well, mainly those two stigmas. I had already experienced that. And now I'm experiencing the homelessness one, too. Yeah. And, you know, that has a debility. And as a poor person. Um, yeah, I will say that in like the service groups, Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, for, you know, for better or worse, those are the best organizations that can help people. So like you're in a position to help others that – most people can't, you know, you're in a, a really auspicious position to help others because of your past. I mean, like I said, my situation was back in the 90s. And if it if I had, you know, I was just basically uh, recalled back from university out of town and, you know, institutionalized it was a long time ago. And I learned a lot about it, but it was 10 years before it happened to you, but it still happens. And, you know, you're in a position now to really help people because you, you can see it. Um, just like just like the service groups are relied upon in an, and as you well know in an, in a community to um, to um, as the expert you know in in uh, in where it's occurring and and why and what people actually need in terms of interdiction 